and welcome to this week's podcast. This is Josh Carlson with Hilltop Community Church, and I just want to say we're really glad that you joined us today. If you're new to the church, make sure to visit us online at hilltopchurchnv.com and fill out one of the online connection cards. We'd love to get connected with you and just say hello. While you're there, you can also find out more information about the church, get connected with Bible studies, submit prayer requests, and even find other sermons on the website as well. Now, make sure that you have your coffee, have your Bible, and your notepad ready to go, because we're about to get started with today's message. So, this morning, we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. We're going to look at chapter 5, verse 11, through chapter 6, verse 3. Uh, myself and Roger will be going through these verses. We'll see a little bit of overlap between what we do this week and next. The passage that Roger has next week, many commentators describe it as the most difficult passage in the New Testament. Uh, there are some 16 different ways to read and understand that passage. And so what I want to do is kind of help get it set up so that you can have a good understanding understanding of what is going on, both in this challenge to Christians today, as well as a warning for Christians next week. And so it's a combination of those two things. But in order to understand a difficult text, the first thing we want to do is we want to know the context of what we're reading. And so the book of Hebrews was written by, uh, we don't know who, maybe Paul, maybe someone else, but it was written to Jewish Christians before 70 AD, before the fall of the temple in Jerusalem. And so the sacrificial system is still going on, uh, something that hasn't existed since 70 AD. There's all these very Jewish ways and modes of religion that existed. And these people that are being written to have kind of left Judaism and seen the fulfillment of the Old Testament in Jesus Christ. But they're dealing with this cultural pull to go back to uh, the religion that is more culturally acceptable and the modes of worship that operated within Judaism. So that's the pull for them, as they've left Judaism, found its fulfillment in Jesus Christ, but they're being pulled back to these old sacrificial systems and ceremonial rites uh, because it was more culturally acceptable. Now, probably none of you in here find it culturally acceptable to head to the temple and sacrifice a lamb on your behalf, but they did. But you probably do recognize what's culturally acceptable in views of God within our culture. And what you need to understand is that you might be drawn towards that instead of Jesus, just like they were drawn to something else instead of Jesus. And so there are some very applicable uh, warnings as well as applications of these verses to our lives. And so there's five warnings within the book of Hebrews. The first one we saw in chapter two was not to drift away from Christ. And then in chapter four, we saw that God's word judges the thoughts and attitudes or intentions of the heart. And what we see there is that you may be able to hide your heart and intentions from people and put on a mask and play the game, but God's word will cut right through that to the core of where you're at. You won't be able to hide from God. What we'll see in, with Roger next week is that faith living can result in a loss of rewards. And this is an important way that we're going to approach this passage so that you can understand it is that this is written to followers of Jesus Christ. It's written to Christians. In fact, the author himself will include himself in the warnings. He'll say we, right, or us. And so he's recognizing that he as the author could fall into these patterns as well as other believers. And so what's being drawn out to us here in this book is that 
if we live faithless lives, it will result in a loss of rewards. There are people that will read this passage and say it could, that you could lose your salvation. Now, when we talk about salvation, there's three terms that are important within salvation. There's justification that you've been made right, that you were wrong in the eyes of God because of your sin and because of your rebellious attitude towards him. But when Jesus Christ went to the cross, he died for your sin, he died for your rebellion, and he rose from the dead to give you a new heart and a new identity. You have been justified, past tense, fully completed by the work of Christ. It is not something that you can lose, but God has given it to you. You are saved. The other terms in in salvation are sanctification and glorification. Now, sanctification is the process of through God's word and his spirit living inside of us as Christians, us being transformed into the image of Jesus. And you can cause that to be stagnant. You can get stuck in neutral. And instead of growing into the image of Christ, you can remain a baby or an infant, as the author of Hebrews is going to say, and be spiritually immature for a very long period of time. I worked with a guy when I first started at the city. He was 45 years old, but he was 12, right? And you can do the same thing spiritually. You can be following Jesus for many, many years, but live like an infant or an adolescent or a baby. And so he's calling the Christians to grow. That's that's sanctification. Glorification is the rewards that we will experience in heaven based upon our faithful choices to trust Jesus in our lives today. And you can forfeit those rewards if you live in a faithless manner. And that's what we're learning in the book of Hebrews, is that if you as a follower of Jesus Christ choose to live in a childish way and not seek maturity in Christ, not only will your sanctification be stagnant, but your glorification and your rewards in heaven will be forfeited. It's not that you won't go to heaven, it's that your rewards there will not be the same as if you had lived a faithful life. And so that's what we'll learn about in this passage and the next. The warning after that in chapter 10 is that God will act sternly towards willful sin. So if you choose to live in a sinful way, you are actively choosing sin. God is going to come into your life and discipline you very sternly, as a good father would. And then to depart from grace back to law invites God's retribution. So those are the warnings within the book of Hebrews. Sometimes people read the book of Hebrews and see these five warnings as interruptions. I actually think that they're what the author had in mind when he wrote it. He wanted to um, warn a group of Christians about some serious consequences of their actions that were coming and also remind them of the greatness of Jesus Christ in how he has fulfilled the prophecies and the modes of worship in the Old Testament so that they could have wholeness in Christ. And so it's a combination of warning Christians, don't do these things in Instead, continue to seek maturity in Jesus Christ. But this message we're calling Stuck in Neutral. So time travel with me. The year is 1998. I just turned 16 years old, and my dad bought me a 1984 Toyota pickup. What a glorious thing, right? Look at that thing. Mine had the weird mirrors that were bigger than those, and if you looked at it from the front, it was like a mouse truck. Um, but I loved that thing. Um, I, I did a lot of duck hunting in that. I went off-roading, even though it was two-wheel drive. Had a lot of fun in that. Um, we put a, an Alpine deck in it, right, with the CDs, and I had that book of CDs that were like this tall and spent all my money on it, um, and then it got stolen. That was bad. Um, thank goodness for Apple Music now, because I got it all back. But anyway, it was so cool, and then I I'd wired... Um, a set of six by nines to sit behind the seat and we, we made them extra long on purpose so that when we rolled up to the batting cage we could pull the speakers out and lay them in the truck bed and you know play that music real loud I was it was cool it probably wasn't 
But one of the things that happened with this truck is it's a manual transmission and the master cylinder went out. So what happens with the master cylinder is when that goes out, you cannot put the car in gear. You are stuck in neutral. And so what I had to do with my dad was we went down to the auto parts store and we bought that book, the manual on the truck that gave you all the information on how to fix the different parts. And we found the place that talked about the clutch master cylinder. And then we bought the master cylinder and my dad came and he worked alongside of me and he gave me the right tools. But we pulled the old master cylinder out. We put the new master cylinder in. We made it so that the hydraulics were all bled properly so that you could shift gears. And then we were able to put it in gear and drive it again. But here's what can happen to us as Christians is we can get stuck in neutral. We can find ourselves in a position we are, where we are no longer able to get it in gear. And so what the author of Hebrews is going to do for us is he's going to tell us as Christians, one, how to not get stuck in neutral. And two, if you are stuck in neutral. So if you feel like you're not growing, you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, but you feel like you're stagnant and you're not growing. There are four very practical things that you can take from this passage and go, okay, this is how I grow. But the other thing I want to say about that master cylinder, in order to get it in, I needed some things. I needed the manual. I needed somebody that knew how to, to, to work on a truck, my dad. I needed somebody that had the tools and the knowledge of how to use those tools. And so what we see in Christianity is that God has given us a manual. He's given us his word. We have believers to walk on si- alongside of us. But even more important than that, we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us to empower the truth that we know to turn into reality right? And so these are things that we can recognize right away. If we want to grow, one, we don't go it alone. Two, we don't leave God's word. And three, we want, we want, we want God involved in the process. It's not about our self-effort. So what should you do if you're stuck in neutral? There are four negative things that the author mentions. The first one is that you could give up. You could say, it's just too hard. I don't know how to replace a master cylinder. Somebody else should do it, right? We outsource the, the problem. And you can do that with your car. That's okay. I outsource the problems with my car now because I don't like working on them. But you cannot outsource your spiritual growth. You can't. You have to participate in this. You can't give up. You can't outsource your spiritual growth. The other thing that the author mentions is that we could go back to the basics again and again and again and again. He talks about drinking milk. Um, milk is great, but if you're drinking, if your whole refrigerator is full of milk and you're an adult, that's weird, right? Uh, we could try harder, confess more, and beat ourselves up with guilt. Boy, you know, must, it's not that I'm going to give up, uh, but I'm going to try really hard. And I'm going to go through all these religious practices in order to clean myself up so that I can be acceptable to God. We could be consumed with matters of secondary theology, right? Uh, I'm going to fill my intellect with all the right information and all the deep information, but that information is never actually making it to my heart so that I live differently. I've got a head full of knowledge, but a heart full of problems, right? We could stop trying and start training. This is a positive one. So instead of working on my own effort and doing my very best, I'm going to go to God and ask him, hey, God, I keep struggling in this one area. How would you train me to win? Based upon what your word says and how the Holy Spirit would empower me, how would you train me to defeat sin in this area of my life? We could seek integration of what we know into daily life. So not just know it, but live it, right? Share what you know with others and be a part of discipleship, right? Instead of just being a consumer, we become a contributor in Christ. And we could trust God to act in big ways in our life. So four negatives, four positives. Let me show you how they work within the book of Hebrews. Uh, But before that, let me pray.
Heavenly Father, this morning we thank you that you are good, that you are here, you are with us, that you care about our growth and maturity as we are changed into the image of your son Jesus. Father, I pray that for each Christian this morning, that we would see areas where you are growing us, that you want us to grow, that we would see areas where you would use us so we could be contributors for your kingdom. And for those who don't know you yet this morning, God, I pray that they would see if they choose to follow you, which is the prayer of my heart, that they would choose to follow you, that they would trust that Jesus, your death on the cross is sufficient to pay for their sins, that their resurrection, that your resurrection from the dead gives them new life. I pray that they would believe that, that they would trust you. But if they're going to trust you, they must follow you, not just once in a moment, for, for the rest of their lives. That when we... When we choose to follow you, we give the keys of our life over to you and we say, Jesus Christ, lead us each and every day so that we can be all that you long for us to be. It is an honor and a pleasure to know you, Jesus. I pray your Holy Spirit is active in our lives this morning. Amen. All right. So he says, should we give up? It's too hard anyway. The answer to that is no. Uh, we have a great deal to say about this, that this is how the author of Hebrews is describing the priesthood of Melchizedek, the king of righteousness, the king of peace in the Old Testament, Genesis, and how Christ has fulfilled that priesthood. So he's going to take a break from describing that because it's difficult to explain since you have become lazy or numb to understand. And so what the author is going to do is he's going to stop describing how Christ fulfills the priesthood of Melchizedek, and he's going to challenge them to not be lazy. He says it's difficult to explain, not because he can't, but because they won't listen, right? And so it's difficult to explain because the reader doesn't want to. And so he's saying don't be lazy, don't be numb, but gain understanding. There are things in the scriptures that are difficult to understand. Does that mean you should give up? No, he's calling us to dig into the difficult things. Maybe with somebody that has some experience within the scriptures. Maybe with somebody that would teach you how to read the scriptures. Maybe with a commentary alongside. But he's teaching us to dig into the difficult things. Don't give up because it's hard, but instead push forward. Uh, the writer challenges the reader to grow up and warns the reader that willfully remaining childish has serious consequences. Roger's going to talk about that next week. But a willful decision to remain childish in your relationship with God. Now, in the scriptures, childlike faith is a good thing. That's going to God and saying, I, I need you. I want to rely on you. That's a childlike faith. A childish faith is one that doesn't want to grow up, right? And so there's a difference between those things. One saying, God, I need you. I want you. Please guide me. Another one saying, eh, you know, we'll kind of stay at this immature state and I'm just fine with that. But as a good father would, he challenges his children to grow up and to realize that Oh, unwillingness to grow up has serious consequences. So he's going to talk about that more next week with, with the passage that Roger will cover. But that's the first one. Is it, should we give up? The answer is no. A positive one, he says, although by this time you ought to be teachers. Uh, that word ought has the idea of somebody that's obligated to perform a task. And so what the scriptures would then reveal to us is that if you've made a decision to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord, that you should be growing as a disciple of Jesus and you should be involved in growing others as disciples of Jesus. That you take what you know about him and you share it with someone else. And if you, take, if you, if you can't share what you know about him with someone else, it's probably a good sign you haven't integrated it into your life because we're able to share what we do 
Once you're able to practice something, it's much easier to share it. And so that's kind of what he's revealing here. Although by this time you ought to be teachers. The length of time the reader had in Christ should have led them to maturity. But lazy numbness to the word of God caused them to be stuck in neutral. They should be engaged in discipling others towards maturity in Christ, but instead continue to lazily feed off of others rather than supply for the spiritual needs of others. They were great at consuming, but worthless at contributing. And so God is calling each of us to be spiritual contributors in Christ. Not just children who consume, but those who are growing up into maturity so that we can take what we know and cause others to be able to consume it and grow. So we should share what we know with others and be a part of discipleship. Now, what does discipleship look like? Does it look like going back to the basics again and again and again and again? He says, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. They knew the fundamentals of God's message to humanity. He says, God's revelation. And what is God's revelation to humanity? You can sum it up fairly quickly. You can say that God created us in love for a meaningful relationship with him. And instead of having a meaningful relationship based upon the love of God, we sinned and rebelled against him. And instead of going to him for what is right and what is wrong, we determined good and right and wrong for ourselves, good and evil for ourselves. In the process, we became no longer children, but rebels. And what the Old Testament then taught us was the need of a savior, someone who would die on our behalf so that we could be saved from our rebellion and given new life as sons and daughters of the king. Christ went to the cross to do that. So we were created in love. We rebelled in sin. Christ died on our behalf so that we could be saved. And then he asked us the question, will you follow me for the rest of your days? That's God's revelation. They knew this. They understood this. And they said, let's just go over that again and again and again and again and again. And they drank milk over and over and over again. They ate, but they didn't exercise. Again, imagine having a refrigerator full of milk. You, you, it's all you drink for your childhood. It's all you consume as an adolescence and it's all that you drink as an adult that'd be kind of absurd right and that's his point is that spiritually people do this they they should be growing up they should be using their teeth they should be chewing on something solid but instead they keep going back to mommy to fill the bottle over and over and over again you might get made fun of if you did that as an adult right or we'd assume that you have a serious problem with your stomach right what he's doing is he's telling us to grow up. Willfully remaining a child when food that leads to maturity is in front of you makes a person of the flesh and unfit for righteousness. This person is inexperienced with the message of righteousness because they are an infant. And that inexperience is, I know it, but I don't live it. I eat it, but I don't exercise it. And so he's calling us not to do the same thing over and over and over again, but to grow and to take on the deeper things of God. Verse 14, he says, but solid food is for the mature. Those whose senses have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. So instead of going over the basics again and again and again and again, he says, why don't you train yourselves from the word of God instead of trying in your own effort, train yourself from the word of God. 
You should be mature. Those who have assumed adult responsibilities is what the word means, like training the mind and exercising decision-making that promotes the ability to judge what honors God and blesses people and what does not. This is done in the moment based upon what what you know from the scriptures and how the Holy Spirit empowers truth into practice. So view it like this. Say you had a serious heart condition and you needed to go in to have heart surgery. You would not want the surgeon to go, hold on, i got to ask Google. Right? You would, you would hope that that surgeon had done his work, that he knew his textbook, that he had practiced, that he had years of experience, and that when it came to deal with your heart, he had the ability to know what the problem was, to fix the problem, and then also not to need to consult a textbook in the middle of the operation. And so this is what God is calling us to do with our own hearts, to fill it with the word of God, to take the word of God and implant it in our minds and understand that the spirit of God lives within us and so that we train ourselves for the areas that we find ourselves failing in. Think of whatever it is for you that is the area of sin that shows up over and over and over again. What is it? What is it for you where you find yourself falling back into that pattern again and again and again? What you you could do this. You could say, well, the next time that shows up, I'm just going to try harder. I'll just do my best to to not sin when that temptation comes up again. Or you could train yourself. You could go to the Word of God, and you could say, what does the Word of God have to say about gossip? What does the Word of God have to say about controlling our tongues? This is that I don't have the power to do it. Instead, what I need is I need the Spirit of God within me to give me the strength to control my tongue. So you find yourself in a group of people, and they're gossiping. They're sharing something about somebody else that they shouldn't. And you recognize it for what it is, because you've prepared your mind and your heart with the Word of God. You've already had a conversation with the Holy Spirit that you don't want to give in to gossip. And so when the gossip shows up, instead of partaking in it, you redirect the conversation towards something that's right. Or you shut it down and just say, I don't think we should gossip. Let's not do that. Maybe gossip's not your issue. Maybe you spend a lot of time on your phone, and their phones are really good at giving us ads for the things that we talk about, right? And so you were just talking about something you wanted to do to the house, and the next thing you know, there comes an ad for exactly what you were talking about. You go, wow, click. And the next thing you know, there's a couple hundred dollars coming out of your bank account for something that you don't really need. Because the material possessions of this world have become the fixation of your heart and your mind instead of Jesus. And so what should we do? We should go to the scriptures and we should learn that from the scriptures, God teaches us that satisfaction comes not from having stuff, but from knowing him. Right? We understand that as Christians, having stuff will not fulfill us, but knowing Jesus Christ will. And so instead of giving in to the temptation and spending money I don't have on things I don't need, I find my fulfillment in Christ. Maybe it's something else for you, but train yourself, recognize it, write it down right now. God, I consistently struggle with, and then go to the scriptures to train yourself to win because you could, you could, oh, I'm just, I'll just, or you could give up. You could say, I'm going to try harder. You could beat yourself up because your own abilities won't, won't measure up. Or you could say, God, through your word and by your spirit, train me to win. And so that's what he's telling us to do with these verses. 
The next thing that we should do is we should seek integration of knowledge, the things that we know from the scriptures into our daily life. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation. Leaving the elementary things of Christ and going on to maturity doesn't mean that you forget the elementary things of Christ. It's not like, well, I learned my ABCs. I never need to use those again, right? Those are the building blocks. They are the foundation for everything that you're going to do. And in the same way, the gospel of Jesus Christ is the foundation. You should not lay on another foundation. We should only work upon the foundation that is the gospel, and we should seek to lay things that are eternal, not things that are temporal. More about that in a second. But he says, imagine that you, imagine hiring a builder. You, you want to build a custom home, and you got the money to do it. You go buy a piece of land, and you go to the builder, and you get the plans all laid out. You've got the blueprints, and you hand them to the builder, and a couple weeks later, maybe a month, the foundation is laid. And you go, wow, that's a good-looking foundation. They say, it really is. We're going to go do another one on the back 40. And then when that one's laid, they go, you know what, let's do that one more time. We're going to go build another foundation somewhere else. We really like this foundation building. Let's keep doing it. And then you wonder, when are you going to put some walls up? Because foundations are important. And in fact, without one, the whole thing's going to fall down. But when are we going to put some walls on this thing? When am I going to have something that changes the way that I live? And if you were looking for how to do this, what I would encourage you to do is read the book of Ephesians. Study the book of Ephesians. Because Paul will walk through what are the areas of your life that are the most important ones and how should, how should you live in those. He covers all of them. So you get the idea here. You'd wonder, when are you going to build something that changes the way that I live my daily life? The foundation is crucial, and Jesus is the cornerstone. But the walls of the house must be built upon with lasting change that honors God. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if you were to read it and lay it on top of the verses that were, or study these together, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and Hebrews 5 and 6, what you'd find is a bunch of striking similarities. And what Paul reveals in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 is that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's one foundation, it's the only one that we should build on, but you can build on it with temporal things or you can build on it with eternal things. You could build on it with pleasure and power and possessions. You could build on it with prestige and other people looking at you. You could build on it with these temporal things. And what he reveals is that there are those of us who will do that, and at the judgment seat of Christ, our life will be judged and weighed, and it will burn up, we'll make it into heaven, but Paul says, as through fire. The works of our life won't make it. There'll be no reward for them. Or we could build on that foundation with eternal things. What's eternal? What lasts forever? God, his word, and his people. And so that's what I should be investing in myself and in others. God, his word, and then I want to invest those into people. Those are things that last forever. Everything else won't. And so that's the challenge that's presented to the believer. Integrate what you know about God into your daily life. Mature. Don't go to the foundation and build it again and again and again and again. But instead, put on that foundation the things that last forever. Meaningful relationships that lead people to Jesus. Meaningful use of your, your time, your talent, and your treasure that builds God's kingdom. Right? Build on, thing with, build on it in a way that lasts. The next negative that he mentions is that we could lay this foundation again and again and again, one of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washing, ritual washings, and laying on of hands. So he says, don't lay this foundation over and over and over again. Dead works would have been Levitical or, or rituals from the book of Leviticus, Old Testament uh, 
Jewish practices that were fulfilled in Jesus. The author of Hebrews actually tells us that the Old Testament system was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. So don't go doing that again. All these works that you're going to try and do to be acceptable before God. Uh, Faith in God, rather they were trusting in their works based upon these Old Testament ceremonies. Washings had to do with various Old Testament procedures of washing away sin. Uh, For the Christian, we recognize that baptism is actually the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament washings, that there's a one-time baptism into the body of Christ, something that we do as an outward symbol of an inward reality of how God has transformed us through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Laying on of hands in the Old Testament was the practice of of imparting spiritual blessing, authority, or power to another. What all four of these have in common is they are human effort in order to be acceptable before God, right? They're all works-based things so that God will be okay with me. What Christianity teaches is that we don't do something to be acceptable before God. Instead, the work has been completed by Jesus Christ on the cross. We are right and just before God, not because of what we do, but because of the one who sacrificed himself for us. His blood has made us whole. His body broken for us has given us the capacity to then be raised from the dead and walk before God in newness of life. This is something that he has done for us. These are all about trying harder, confessing more, and beating yourself up with guilt. And most people, I think, experience religion in this way. They approach God and they say, well, I just got to try harder. I need to confess more. Uh, I just feel so guilty all the time because of all the things I'm doing wrong. And so I'm going to put my own effort into this other area so that God will be okay with me. Instead of saying, Jesus, thank you that you've forgiven me. Will you train me through your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit to live a new life. I'm not going to do this on my own because that's not your design. I'm going to, through your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit, live a different way in all the areas of my life. The other thing that people do is they get consumed with matters of secondary theology. He says, don't get caught up in the resurrection of dead and and eternal judgment. These would be what we consider end times issues, right? We went through the book of Revelation, and I can tell you what my viewpoints are on when Jesus comes back and how he's going to do it and what happens at those judgments and why God is doing it. I can tell you all those things, and yet there's another Christian who I really respect that has different views on those things. And so what a lot of Christians end up doing is they spend all their time bickering about secondary theology instead of saying, why don't we go pursue Jesus and his kingdom together, right? And they get caught up in these secondary things and they're consumed by them rather than saying, you know, what's really important is not my understanding of issues that God has left a little bit gray, but the the solid things that Jesus is going to return, that he is going to judge the living and the dead, and that there is a reward for those who have trusted him in heaven. And there is a, um, a punishment that for those who have rejected his good news, I know that's true. Exactly when he's going to come back and how he's going to do it, we could talk about that, but it would be wrong for us to be consumed by it. So knowing these things is good. Being able to articulate them is also good. But allowing these topics to become the focus can cause people to drift away from Christ into intellectual pride. And that's what a lot of deep study of secondary theology does. It creates intellectual pride. I've figured it out and you haven't. Instead of, let me tell you these awesome things about Jesus Christ and how we could pursue him together. 
And then the last positive here, he tells us to trust God to act in your life in big ways. And we will do this if God permits. We'll move from the secondary thing or from the elementary things into the deeper maturity that takes place in knowing Christ. And this line is important because it highlights how maturation takes place according to God's will and power. One might begin to think that moving from spiritual infancy into adulthood were up to one's own willpower, and that would be a mistake. Certainly one must engage with God and his word to grow, but it is not a matter of mere effort and intellect. Rather, a giving over of one's mind, emotion, and will to the headship, the lordship of Jesus Christ. It's not that we don't exercise effort, right? Uh, The phrase from Dallas Willard is that grace is not opposed to effort but earning, right? It's not that I don't put effort in, but my effort is not so that I earn something from God. My effort is so that I can grow in relationship with him. I want him. And it's not that our intellect isn't involved. To be a Christian, you don't have to check your brain at the door. You really don't. A lot of people would tell you that, but, but I think if you're, if you're willing to dig into the truths of Scripture with your mind and the power of the Holy Spirit beside you, you're going to find that there are some really deep truths that you won't find anywhere else. And so what one has to do is look upon the goodness of Jesus and desire satisfaction in Him. When Jesus becomes the bread of life, as He says in John 6, you will hunger no more and grow in ways previously unconsidered. And that is a truth that if you're a follower of Jesus, you know it. He has caused you to grow in ways that you hadn't even thought about or wondered if they were issues. And so what we want to do is we want to rely on God, God to, gr- to guide the maturity process. We want to go to Him and say, God, what is it you want to work on? I, I keep stumbling in this area, and God may say, that is a problem, but before I deal with that, we're going to deal with this. Because He knows what's more important. And so it's important to go to Him and say, God, what is the, what is, what is the real root cause here? What is the real issue that I'm dealing with? I know I keep stumbling over here, but will you reveal to me what the root is? And you allow Him to lead the growth process. And so what should we do if we're stuck in neutral? Should we give up? It's too hard anyway. No, we should stop trying and start training. Train yourself based upon what you read in the word of God and the Holy Spirit bringing those things to mind in the moment. Should we review the basics again and again and again and again? Would you like another glass of milk? No, we want to seek integration of what we know into our daily life. We want to consume the milk so that we're then capable of digesting something more solid. Should we try harder, confess more, and beat ourselves up with guilt? No. But it would be good to share what you know with others and be a part of discipleship. Be a, not a consumer, though we do want to consume God's word. Don't be just a consumer, but be a contributor. And maybe that's the number one thing you need to hear this morning. You've been a part of a church or a congregation for a long time, and you're just there to consume. If the music isn't what you want, you're not happy because you're there to consume. Right? If, if things don't go the way that you want in a service, you, you're unhappy because you were there to consume rather than looking for ways to contribute to a body of Christ so that the kingdom of God could grow. Should we be focused on matters of secondary theology? No, it's good to know them. It's good to understand them. But what we really want to do is act, trust God to act in big ways in our life. So there's four very clear don't do this and four very clear do this. If you look at the ones on the left, or, well, my, yeah, it's your left, uh, the, the, the don't do this, it's, it's really about what you can do. 
what you can accomplish in your own ability and your own strength. If you look at the ones on the other side, what they're about is what God can accomplish through you. And ultimately, that's the growth process, is a realization that what I bring to the table is a willingness to be led by God. And if I'm willing to let him lead me, allow him to transform my mind, allow him to transform my speech, allow him to transform my actions, then I'll grow. If I think it's about what I can accomplish, the growth will be stagnant. You'll get stuck in neutral. But what I really want to close with is those words from John chapter 6 where Jesus talks about how he is the bread of life. And what he talks about in that passage is that if anyone will eat his flesh and drink his blood, they will be satisfied. And if they're unwilling to do that, if they're unwilling to take in his broken body for them and his blood spilled on their behalf, then they will have no part of him. And so we're going to take communion right now and remember that truth, that if you want to grow, you need to remember who Jesus is and what he's done for you. Father, we thank you for your word and the truth that is within it. We thank you that you have revealed to us things that we would not know on our own. We thank you that there are simple truths like your love. And there are deep truths like your love should be changing me into the image of your son. There are simple truths like I needed someone to die on my behalf. There are deep truths like that sacrifice was fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Help us to grow, each one of us here this morning, no matter where we're at, whether we've been following Jesus for a week or for 70 years. God, grow us this week. We remember the sacrifice of your son. We realize how utterly lost we were without him. But how amazing, how amazing it is to be in him. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in and joining us today. We hope that this message encourages you to continue taking steps towards seeking and understanding God's truth. The dream is that Hilltop is a home for the growing family of God, and we're so glad that you are a part of the family.